Hotel family. Welcome to a reflection of us as city neighbors. I'm Dallas. I'm Ricky. I'm Jada. Today we are joined by Mr. Marty McNair, founder of the Jordan McNair Foundation. Thank you for joining us. So my first question is, were you shocked by your son's death? Was I shocked? Yes. Um, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was in shock because first of all, as a parent, I really didn't know what a heat stroke was. So I didn't know what a heat stroke was. So, and I definitely didn't know how traumatic or, you know, tragic they could be. So I didn't even know. I just thought that when a person had a heat stroke, basically that meant that they were just wearing the sun too long. And all you needed to do was get in the shade and drink some cool water or something like that. I had no idea that, you know, really how dangerous it was and really had no idea on how life-threatening it, it, it were. So, yeah, I was really shocked. My second question was, do you still, are you still grieving about your son dying or any trauma about it? Um, yeah, so really my grief initially went into the work that we did. So basically in regards to our advocacy with our foundation and stuff like that, so yeah, really, it was it was very, very, you know, um, uh, heavy on my heart at that time. So I tell people all the time that my grief could have took me in one or two directions. It could have took me into a rabbit hole of despair where I would have been just, you know, super duper sad. Or, you know, in the direction where, I, you know, I turned my, my pain into purpose. And that's how we've got so much work done in such a short period of time. So really, that was really my grief that was really driving me, like, in the first couple of years. Like, you know, it was really, really painful. And I just really didn't want another family to experience what we experienced, what we were experiencing. My last question is, how did you get through it? Oh, how did I get through it? How did yes. I get through it? Oh, okay, great, great. Um, I'm going to tell you, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of faith and, and you know, a, a higher power and, one of the things for me was, you know, really, it was just really, you know, like Jordan never, Jordan may have passed in the physical, in the physical sense, but, you know, he's still with us very much every day in the spirit. You know, he's always in our hearts and, you know, really like I talk to Jordan now more so than I probably was talking to him when he, since he went away to college, because everything that we do is like all revolves around the work that we do foundation wise. So he's really, really, um, uh, present. I may can't pick up the phone and call him. You know, however, I talk to his pictures in my office all day. I still kiss his picture on my closet wall every morning. You know, so all these things where his presence is really, really strong within us. So, you know, really the work that we do is basically just for him. And I think that, you know, a lot of times what really helped us get through was, you know, when we were really making an impact, uh, you know, we always felt like he was falling down on us. So that was always one of the good thing that, you know, really helped us get through as well. Yep. What made you start your foundation? Uh, I was an advocate in another space, in a sense. So I just was advocating prior to Jordan passing. But I think that, you know, really, like, I was right in line with the work that we were doing in a sense because it was like I was kind of already being prepped for this. I never realized that, though. So that's really what, really what it was. And that's how we got through. Like, really, like, I was already advocating and I was already in that space of a nonprofit and things like that. So really, I mean, that's how we really started it. Uh, and I just, again, I, I go back to, I didn't want another, another family to feel what we were feeling just due to some misinformation 
or information that, you know, a lot of us didn't have at that point. And that really made us start the foundation because I never want, we never wanted a family to go through this again. Okay. What exactly is a heat stroke? So good question. So a lot of times, so I mentioned earlier what I thought a heat stroke was or what I thought preparation uh, or the, uh, um, uh, uh, how to handle a heat stroke, right? So basically I thought that, um, you, like I said, you put a person, you know, you, you put them in the shade, drink cold water, cool them down. Basically that's heat exhaustion. So I was, I was almost right. However, I had no idea what, I didn't know the difference between heat stroke and heat exhaustion. So whenever a person's core body temperature overheats, whether they're playing sports, whether they're outside in the, in the uh, hot temperatures or humid temperatures, the potential for a heat stroke can always happen, but it doesn't just go from zero to heat stroke. So basically it starts with heat exhaustion. So the signs of heat exhaustion are uh, muscle cramps, sweating, um, nausea, things like that, headaches, you know, really you start to feel very uncomfortable in these temperatures, right? And then when your core body temperature escalates from heat exhaustion to heat stroke, what that means is your core body temperature goes above 104 degrees. And once that happens, that's what, like that's the equivalent of your body being in a microwave oven. So when your core body temperature goes above 104 degrees, like I said, that's the equivalent of your body being in a microwave oven and everything starts to cook. So your liver starts to cook and your kidneys start to cook. And so imagine we heat food up in a microwave oven literally for a minute or two, right? And we want a, a piece, a slice of pizza. We may put it on 30 seconds. We want a hamburger. We may put it on one minute. So imagine that's happening within your, your body. And that's how hot your body gets above that 104 degrees. You have a very, very short window of time to cool the body down. So basically what that means is to start the cooling process, uh, in a sports arena, it's usually cold water tubs, ice, towels, cold water. And basically, you're putting this on a person's body to cool them down. The interesting thing that I really learned along the way was heat strokes or heat exhaust. Heat, we call it heat-related injuries. Heat-related injuries aren't bad. However, when they're mismanaged, that's when they become tragic in my son's case or in Jordan's case. Like I said, they aren't because it's a realistic thing when people are outside in the elements. They're playing sports. Of course, your body, any of us can get overheated. However, when that right prevention or the right preparation isn't in place to um, anticipate this stuff is going to happen, that's when things become tragic at that point. At your foundation, what is a EAP? Thank you. That's the best question. Best question I've heard all day. So an emergency action plan. That's what EAP stands for. Emergency action plan. I'm a, I like to break things down into layman's terms. So what I mean is I always like the three-year-old version of when somebody explains something to me. So what that means is you know what a fire drill is, correct? Yes. Right. You always have fire drills at the school. You know, nowadays with, with young people and, and uh, unfortunately you have to have active shooter drills and things like that. If somebody, if it's, if it's an active shooter that comes in the school, we already know what to do. If a fire breaks out in the school, we know what to do. If an earthquake breaks out in school, we same thing we have an emergency action plan. Every time somebody walks on the field, the potential for them to break a bone, uh, have a concussion, uh, a heat, heat related injury, all these different things when you're playing sports can happen all the time. So what an emergency action plan is, an emergency action plan is a set of documented 
a, a documented uh, um, set of rules or a set of instructions that's the same instructions that in the event somebody goes down, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. It's not nothing to think about. It's something that's already written and documented that everybody, coaches, staff, everybody should know what they're going to do in the event of an emergency. So that's basically what it's called, an emergency action plan. This is a plan that we know where the closest police station is. We know where the closest fire station is. We know who's going to get the safety equipment. We know who's going to, we know who already is going to call 911. If it's a younger person, who's going to call their parent? So it's a variety of a variety of safety things, like a safety checklist. And basically, all these things should go into play every time something happens on the field. It should be the same system followed every single time to assure student athletes safety. What are you going to do with the foundation later in life? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's another good question. Um, the goal is really to, uh, at, within the next five years, the goal would really be to uh, put at least five, if we can get into five different states, um, five different states where we have a George McNair Foundation office, or representation where we promote student athlete safety. So our mission would be to continue our education, our parent education in regards to keeping student athletes safe, uh, ensuring or educating student athletes to listen to their bodies, right? And also to diminish heat-related injury deaths around heat-related injuries. Okay. What are what are some other ways student athletes can stay cool great so student athletes can stay cool let me start with the most important thing you gotta hydrate and you gotta have plenty of water in your system and you don't start hydrating the night before practice you don't start hydrating the night before a game you need to start hydrating literally 48 to 17 72 hours prior to so what does that mean you need to start drinking water do you need to go drink a whole lot like a bathtub of water no but you need to start drinking water. You at least want to drink uh, at least four to, four to eight bottles of water per day or, or enough water that will hold you in the event of. And that's that will help. Um, and most importantly, to stay cool as well or just to stay safe. I try to encourage student athletes all the time. Well, I tell student athletes all the time, listen to your body. If your body tells you to stop, stop. If your body tells you you can't do anymore, don't do anymore. You know, like I said, one of the main things, if, if like I said, hydrate, you know, start drinking water prior, like three days prior to, um, you know, always drink water, you know. And most importantly, Dallas, no matter at the end of the day, if you feel uncomfortable, speak up. If a coach says something or say, not even to you, if they say something to a teammate and it makes you feel uncomfortable or see it makes your teammate feel uncomfortable, you know, please speak up and say something. Tell your parent, you know, tell somebody, you know, tell an adult that, hey, this is what's going on. I made this is how I feel. This is what I saw. And please, you know, explain that, because keep in mind, not only will you save, you know, maybe your life, but you may save a teammate's life as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Mr. McNair. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. Much appreciated. Nice meeting all of them. Again, thank you for joining us. I'm Jigada. I'm Ricky. I'm Dallas. Perfection of Us podcast is a production of Center of Dream Services and Multimedia Resources.
Today's episode is made possible in partnership with Elevate Baltimore. Our theme music is by Jay Soul for BSM Productions. Be sure to subscribe to Reflection of Us podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, be sure to visit www.sunnyredream.com to learn more about our work and how you can support us. Asante Sana.